WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer and artist behind Dynamite's Disney villains Maleficent, as well as the artists of the Dark Horse OGN Carmilla, the first vampire, and DC Ruby, Sue Lee. Welcome, Sue. Hi, thanks so much for uh, having me on. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, so, first time guest, uh, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I think I just consumed whatever I had available. Like, I used to read, um, you know, Batman books, of course. Um, I read a lot of manga. Um, I even read, like, the Asian newspaper comic strips and it wasn't like American ones where it's like um cute funny stuff it's like gangster stories where it's like a little nudity and it's a little like dangerous and I was like oh what is this and my mom and my dad would be like don't look at this you're too young to look at this and so but the drawings were really good um and so it's like I think um I've been exposed to reading a lot of comics that it's hard to pinpoint exactly what, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but mostly, a bit, but like mainstream, it's like I was a huge fan of Batman for sure. Like he was like my number one like character, my favorite like hero. Um, just like a- anything that DC came out with Batman, I would like consume it. What was <laughs> your 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 period? Were you coming in during the what were the, the the stories that were big at that point? I'm just curious because I've been, I haven't missed an issue of Batman since 1989. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. I think I collected a lot of the trades, mm. um, and I don't specifically remember like which ones, but I I remember like um when I was like the most awakened to comics was like in high school right where I was like okay I'm gonna be a comic artist I used to go to like the five dollar bins at a comic shop and just pilfer through on Sundays or whatever just like whatever they sold for cheap like you know that came out five years ago or something I would just collect and I got really big into Elseworlds um and I've like said this before, but like I'm a huge Elseworlds fan. Like that was like my dream. Like that was my dream gig. It was just like everything that I loved. And so it's like I collected like, you know, Gotham by Gaslight, you know, and stuff like that. And it was like, I think, and then like, you know, Batman Black and White, of course. Um, I have like the the hard copy somewhere in my library. Um, I even loved like uh I'm, I'm like forgetting names right now but it was like the the vampire one it was like all painted that was like so like anything that was out of the ordinary I was like picking up that was Batman related because I had some of the best artists you know um and best writers for it so I think that's when I was like really ignited with comic books Matt what is what is your uh favorite batman elseworld story probably red rain the batman the first chapter of the vampire trilogy the batman the one where he's actually fighting dracula right oh that was a good one yeah because it's it's that then there's bloodstorm which is joker and catwoman and then crimson mist where he goes full vampire and just massacres every Mm -hmm. villain that he can get his fangs into and there's something about batman dracula itself with him this batman that's similar to the canon batman but just a little bit off he seems to exist in a world where there's no other heroes there's not the dc universe but he's sort of struggling with the idea of the supernatural as he is slowly being made into a vampire by this female vampire who's trying to basically create him to be her her weapon against Dracula and Dracula himself being there and it's it's the slow burn horror with that Kelly Jones art by the way as uh for some reason you triggered the memory we cannot forget year one which I consider my bible 
it's like one of the most perfect books the most perfect <laughs> batman book it's just like you know masa kelly is a genius richmond lewis is like the staple of how all of my colors like you know it's like they're just like gods to me you know so it's like that's my bible so i cannot forget that and i cannot believe i almost did <laughs> my, my other podcast because i'm one of those people that's crazy enough to have two weekly podcasts awesome. <laughs> is a batman podcast where each week me and my other co-hosts talk about three batman stories and we kind of rank them on a giant list of batman stories number one is and has been since episode one year one it's it is it is perfect almost right it like all, nothing is perfect but it's almost perfect yeah the platonic ideal of batman yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh boy but uh let's 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 break into your stuff here you know let's talk about uh disney villains maleficent which is out this week as we're recording happy release eve uh oh. from <laughs> from dynamite uh Matt, be the magical talking mouse of my heart and read the solicit blurb, please. Oh, no. <laughs> Her realm is shrouded in darkness and evil and full of things that go bump in the night. Her soul is cold, hardened by a lifetime of small-minded wanderers seeking to steal her powers to satisfy their mortal greed. Her patience wears thin. Her mystical might grows it is a matter only of time for she descends the mountain and unleashes her horrible magics upon the powerless people below wow that was amazing i could i should be clapping <laughs> uh, <laughs> so how did this opportunity come about um well I've worked on a few titles for uh, the editor of uh, Maleficent, um, Nate, and uh, I've done like a story. I drew a story for uh, Red Sonia, the uh, Red, White, and Black um, series, and then um, I did a bunch of uh, James Bond covers for him. And um, I drew. I I actually wrote the um, Vampirella fairy tales. And so that was like my little dive into writing. And um, he just, you know, he just like really enjoyed my work. And like we had a great relationship in terms of like, you know, he was like easy to work with and hopefully I was as well. And so I think he said, you know, I, I can see your style in this and just came to me and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like I, I wasn't going to say no, right? <laughs> Were you a disney person going into this did you have growing up or now favorite disney movies oh yeah absolutely like i was always a fan of maleficent everybody loves sleeping beauty um but maleficent is like a very iconic character um i grew up watching disney movies right like i had to i when i was a kid it was like vhs tape lunchtime and then you would like watch an entire thing of you know disney stuff right mm -hmm. so um I'm very familiar with Disney um, and I love I'm naturally like a big fan of villains, you know, in like almost every story. But Maleficent is definitely a um, uh, like a, like when someone thinks of like Disney villains, like Maleficent is like, I think one of the top people you think about. Right. And so um, I, I just like always had, was a fan of hers. Yeah, my, my mom collected those those white clamshell Disney VHS cassette cases oh. that stood out from from everything else. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, so you couldn't alphabetize your movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Dumbo looks weird next to Die Hard. I mean, probably would <laughs> right, either right, way, right, but right, you, right. you get what I'm gonna get. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Disney ones needed a separate display to to look they had their own shelf. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Oh boy. But uh, you know, you're you're writing and drawing this. You know, how was that experience compared to, you know, when you're normally just doing uh, you know, sequentials and interiors? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like I'm writing for myself, the artist. So 
I can cut a little bit of corners. I, I know what it's going to look like. Like as I'm writing it, I can imagine what the panels are going to look like. Or like I'll first think of like what it should look like and then I'll write it down to um, make it easier for myself. So it's not the most detailed. Um, but I I would guess that it's way harder when someone... Well, when I do, uh, wrote the Vampirella book or the Vampirella story... Um, mm -hmm. I had to make sure I was like way clearer and I was like giving like direction on certain um like like uh, shots and stuff like that not not too heavy-handed of course I don't I wouldn't want that so I don't like doing that as an mm -hmm. artist um so it's different but you know it's a little easier doing it for myself I just need to know like the bullet points of what I need to put down and then the dialogue right because I'm not lettering it um but it is it is a handful to juggle for sure. It's um, but I love the experience because I'm learning how to actually write stories, right? Um, and like it, seeing my like, and then like sometimes I'll change things that I write, but also that's the same thing for any script you can get, right? Like if the writer or the team um trusts you, you can just you know um take artistic integrity, and so I do that for myself as well. But um, it's definitely an interesting experience. It's hard work, but I enjoy doing it. And hopefully when it does come out this week, which I'm sweating a little bit, anytime a project comes out, I, I'm always sweating, right? Because <laughs> like, I hope it does well. I hope people enjoy it. I hope people can like understand my vision. Um, so hopefully people will enjoy my writing and my art mostly my art <laughs> what is what is a treat that writer you left for artist you or vice versa hmm little like i can be as greedy as i want with like what i want to draw right so i'm like well i want to draw like a few scenes of the woods well because like that only makes sense, I think, because like if you rewatch the animated movie, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of establishing shots because like the woods, no matter like, you know, the Forbidden Castle or like just wherever Sleeping Beauty was. Right. Um, Aurora. Right. Um, wh wherever they were, it's just like a sweeping landscape because that's part of the like the environment is part of the character. So like I get to do that if I want to, you know, or like I can do close ups of certain things that like hopefully translates in a you know in an emotional way right so like I get to kind of have reins on anything in terms of drawing and writing but to an extent right you know I do have people who look over things and like edit it but to an extent I'm allowed to do you know whatever I feel like the uh the covers the a covers uh are by Jay Lee and yes. you know I've, I gotta be honest, like, I've never looked at Jay Lee, a very good artist, uh, to be clear, and thought, you know what he'd be good at? Disney animation house style. Yes. And yet, and yes. yet. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I'm like, God dang it. I'm like, these are so good. And then I'm like, how much are those covered? Because I really would like to buy some, some of his like black and whites. And I'm like, ooh, what's my budget? <laughs> no but they're for i mean everyone has done such a good job but jay like mm -hmm. wow really knocked it out of the park now interior wise are you trying to adopt that sort of classic disney look and feel or or anything like that no um there's some things like i was allowed to do and there's a lot i cannot do only mm. because disney you know it's disney right um yes and and, and it's their property so they're like they want to be a little bit careful of like how something works. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I, I, my style is my style, right? Like, you know, they hired me because they knew what my drawing looks like and, you know, and it's more painterly and stuff, but, and, and I'm very ink heavy and dark. Right. But I figured like, if they understand what my drawings are, then I'm going to give them me. Mm -hmm. Like I stylized her for sure, but um, I didn't, make her unrecognizable um and i think and, and she looks she like if i did like a one-to-one -one, she looks nothing like what 
you know, style-wise, right? Um, in the animation, but um, I get to I got to have fun with like how I envisioned her, um, yeah, and and like so I think it was like a mutual trust, and I and I think um, I'm very like grateful that they let me be myself for it. Uh, Disney villains generally and historically aren't known for being sympathetic. Maleficent, you know, especially because of of the Angelina Jolie movies that came later, probably one of the first big examples of Disney showing us the villain side of the story. And, you know, in a way, sort of, I I wrote down marvelizing the character. Um, How did writing this book change your view of of Maleficent? Well, I can't really say much, but um, I was supposed to do like a spin of a spin on Maleficent without touching the previously made um, properties. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I mean, luckily I didn't really have to do a lot of like rewriting. I'm doing air quotes for like, you know, in terms of who she is, mm-hmm. I can just use her as a character that's already been made and just like, I don't know, what's her life like? <laughs> you know, kind of like what I would imagine like her everyday life would be like, so to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like ran with that. Like whatever, like what, you know, hijinks would she go through, right? Is is there another uh, classic Disney villain you'd be interested in seeing a similar take on? Hmm, that's a good question. Huh. What were the other? I'm just kidding. Um, well, let's see. <laughs> um, hmm. In terms, in terms of magical, I guess um, Snow White's queen. It, you know, the the evil queen is also not too dissimilar. She has like incredible magical powers, right? We mm-hmm. have like a movie Enchanted that came out of it, right? So it's like. Which I'm a big fan of, by the way. I, I'm like a big, <laughs> I'm like a big rom com fan, and like that just like hit all the notes for me. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, so like I think she would be really interesting. Um, she doesn't turn into a dragon, but she's like, like an incredibly powerful, also very beautiful, you know, like evil uh, witch queen kind of thing. So I think that would be really fun. By me, probably I don't know, but you know, definitely <laughs> if they did it, I think it would be cool to see. <laughs> This is this is where I go to the map for uh, Gaston, just because you know. Oh yeah, Gaston. Oh okay. Both never skip leg day. That's all. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think there's a story to be told for Jafar standing up against. Oh the, yeah. The, the royalty, with him as this, you know, trying to bring down the. The, the establishment actually that would be really cool i mean he like changed an entire like uh he turned you know what i mean like he he's like also very incredibly powerful but also like it'd be cool to see like magic um like a like a magician like him or whatever you would call him um be established a little bit more but that's actually i like that idea a lot I think especially if you tell it from him trapped in the the lamp oh, after right. Aladdin, he's now trapped alone with Iago the parrot and he's telling his story and you've got Iago making commentary along the way. Like, you know, I was about to try to do a Gilbert Godfrey and I'm not going to even go there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, him be like, you know, I was there and you're not telling. That's not how it happened. Quiet, bird. I, I, like I like that, that. because it's especially, you know, with Jafar, you've got almost like the Rasputin story, but, oh. you know, through uh-huh. a, a, you know, sort of Middle Eastern lens. So it's like Rasputin meets like Tales of Scheherazade. Yeah. Mm, true. But but with a Gilbert Gottfried bird. <laughs> <laughs> Which we won't hear, but yeah, we hear no. in our hearts and our minds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um that that would be really fun actually yeah matt uh, i i'm curious because i i know you're reading this stuff how you've been finding the the dynamite disney comics since the line started like just a few months ago with like gargoyles and darkwing duck and stuff yeah 
Darkwing's a ton of fun, really hitting. It's capturing the the notes of the show. Mm. I mean, Gargoyles is something I will always be madly in love with. It is to me second only to Batman the Animated Series. It is a comic that I think will probably read better in a little better in trade because Wiseman himself has said he's basically breaking each arc as if it's three episode structure of an animated episode. So each three issues is act one, act two, act three. So while I'm fine reading them, you know, a month apart, I think if you sat down and read it as an episode, it might read very smoothly that way. But it's, I also wish I had gone back and reread the uh, SLG Gargoyle series that came out in the early aughts because it is canon. And so it's like, I remember it all, but it's like, it would have been nice to have a refresher on exactly where everyone was between the end of the cartoon, which I have watched more times than I am willing to admit. And um, <laughs> the, the point we're at here. But both are really fun. And so was uh, Scar. I, I picked up the first issue of Scar. I think I picked the second issue and just I'm a little behind. Uh, but he's another favorite Disney villain of mine. And there's there's that one. There is no sympathy. Scar is still absolutely the worst. But mm-hmm. he, he's reveling in his own crapulence. And so are you, the reader. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Gargoyles uh, fan, too, by the way, the cartoon. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is like, it's it's just like amazing i've never seen anything like it world mythology and shakespeare and gargoyles it's you couldn't ask for more yeah and a romance you don't really like you wouldn't have thought about right and then like as an adult you're like oh my gosh you know so it's it's very interesting and the entire cast of star trek next generation pretty much oh i did not know that yeah (laughs) uh xanatos demona Coldstone, Puck, uh, a couple of the characters they meet along the world world tour. The entire core cast, except for Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden, voice huh. characters in Gargoyles, as well as a couple of char- actors from some of the other Star Trek series from Voyager and from Deep Space Nine pop up too. Interesting. Gargoyles was Picard before Picard was Picard. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) You took over art duties on DC Ruby uh, with issue three that came out a little less than a month ago. Um, How'd that come about? Were you familiar with Ruby as a property before that? Also, are we saying it right (laughs) Yeah, no, Ruby is is exactly it. Yeah, no. um, So I was not familiar with Ruby as well. So I had to look it up um, and familiarize myself with like some of the people, some of the characters and the lore a little bit. Um, I'm still not like very hit. Like, I don't understand all of it yet because it's like a deep, it's like a big thing and it has like a cult following. And, you know, so like I'm not 100% like, like knowledgeable um unfortunately i'm so sorry if you're listening but (laughs) so i met the editor at a convention and um he was just like going through my portfolio and then said you know this is really cool stuff and you know chit-chatting whatever you're like yeah 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 you know nice to meet you you're you know just an editor at dc cool (laughs) and then yeah you know and then like you know thanks again blah, blah blah and like you know you don't really think much and then um He's like, hey, I have a project I think you'd be great for. And then, you know, uh, we hit it off. And yeah, he was just like, we need an artist for issue three and so on. So would you like to do it? And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) I've never done team hero books, um, but here I go. (laughs) Plus, I didn't know the characters for Ruby, you know, so I was like, okay, I got to like practice drawing them. Plus every other superhero that like I've never gotten to draw before. So it was just like a pure coincidence thing. Yeah, I spent the weekend familiarizing myself by watching the Justice League Ruby That's animated right. that came yeah. out the same day as your first issue of the series. Yeah. Like, All right, before I try to read the comics, let me at least get this and hopefully get some <laughs> no, kind it's, of grounding. It's, not, it's, a, it's a standalone thing too. It's like it's the animated movie is like the, its own thing. And then 
this was like um a series that uh Mirka Andolfo and um Marguerite Bennett did before and so now it's not a continuation it's like another standalone um series as well but i think it's just that like they're um trying to bring the like uh the two universes together and so the animated series maybe like will establish a little bit more but it i don't think it has anything to do with the comic it, it i didn't, I didn't watch to. it yet right yeah. it didn't <laughs> seem to having because your series is set in the dcu right yes. and this one was set in remnant yes. or something akin so it, it and so how was how was it bringing these characters who are, are so colorful and bright and setting them in something like oh let's say gotham which is not exactly known <laughs> for uh what do you mean <laughs> sure. i guess outside of joker but that's a different kind of bright and shiny um i mean you know megan hetrick um already established all that for me all i had to do was just like continue on um and there's like a lot of like tonal shifts and stuff like that too depending on like what um what scene it is and then like i don't want to spoil anything but it gets a little bit crazier later on and i had to completely like envision that and create a whole different thing um so it's like i have like i was like well i already have kind of like i'm just i'm just saying what people have told me like a uh manga style like i have a slight manga style and I was like okay well let me lean into that a little bit right because you know the original Ruby is like it's like an anime it's an American anime and um uh like a lot of it of um it got like remade the original animation got remade and it definitely looked like anime so I was like okay let me lean into that and America did a wonderful job and hers looked like anime too so I was like I'll do it in my style but like manga you know um so it's like it was fun I got to like draw my favorite characters I got to draw these characters um and yeah it was just like it was like a lot of work but I thought it was incredibly fun was this was this your first time getting to draw Batman? You know, yes. As, oh wow! Yes. How, how did how did that feel as somebody who grew up reading Batman? Um, you know, intimidating. I don't think I did a great job. You know, but like you'll never do the best job doing it for the first time. I think that's like true for any artist, right? I don't think our favorite artists did like an amazing job when they first started drawing like any character. So it's like something you have to like learn you know and like uh, batman's only in there for like i, I don't want to spoil anything but batman's in there for like x amount of time so it's not like i got to you know draw him a whole lot um but it was definitely intimidating <laughs> like and i was like oh my god does is it good is it not good i don't know but i did my best is what i can say um and i had fun doing it so that's all that matters right <laughs> i think <laughs> Absolutely. So with so large a cast in both cases, have there been any characters that have been particularly fun to draw either that you were expecting to be or that surprisingly like, oh, I never expected to really love to draw John Constantine as much as I do? I mean, I'm a big fan of Constantine. Um, Zatanna, big fan of. So it was like, oh, man, these were definitely fun. You know, like immediately I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Like, I love these characters. Right. Um, but I didn't because like some like drawing masked heroes is not easy. Um, and, and it definitely takes practice no matter who you are, I think, because it's like a whole it's like um a new muscle. Right. Like learning a new muscle. So it's like um when I drew Nightwing at first, he was a little difficult to draw for me, but then I got really like excited to draw him because I was having a lot of fun mm. and I was like oh okay I actually think I really like drawing Nightwing now <laughs> so yeah I guess that character if anything Catwoman was fun to draw too so a thing I love about doing this podcast is it forces me to catch up on comics that I didn't have time to read when they <laughs> came out. So I have to tell you that I very much enjoyed uh, Carmilla the First Vampire. Uh, oh, thank you. Your uh, 
dark horse graphic novel with Amy Chu. Uh, what was the origin of that project? You know, Karen Berger emailed me one day and was like, do you want to do something? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> no, she sold me the pitch and she explained to me what it was. And um, I guess like I talked to Amy a really long time ago, but I forgot that I was like, hey, you know, if there's anything you want to work on. Um, but she remembered it. So I guess I my name was thrown in the hat. And when Karen comes knocking, you answer the door, right? Like, <laughs> you know how I said um, Elseworlds was a bucket list? Well, like working for Vertigo was like, I'm going to draw a Vertigo book. Like it is going to be my life, you know, dream. And then they, they like, they dissolved and I was like, well, there goes that dream. But, <laughs> but what is, you know, um, what is Vertigo if not for a Karen Berger, right? So when she said, would you like to draw it? I'm like, bucket list reenlisted, <laughs> reinstated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, it was also a pure coincidence. Was this was this always intended to be a graphic novel, or or had had you and Amy talked about and Karen talked about breaking it up into a monthly at any point? No, Burger Books is only graphic novels. Um, oh, so okay. it was like set as a graphic novel before I even touched it, and um, I think it works better that way, right? Like, you know, floppies are hard, um, and like you have to hit certain deadlines and stuff. But with with a graphic novel, it's easier to just like keep going on a flow. And you just, it, it sometimes it's nice to just have it all at once, right? And it's like a whole, it's a, a book, the book market is like a whole nother thing as well. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there were a lot of things to consider for their end. It also, I mean, the book market also has a longer shelf life, I, I guess, pun intended. I see what <laughs> you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, what, what, drew you to the original uh, Carmilla story? Well, Amy actually brought it up. And I think even if you haven't read the story, I think everyone knows of Carmilla. Um, I think she's, well, at least I did. I, I was actually familiar with the um, uh, the lore of her, but I never actually knew exactly what the story about is was about. I mean, you don't need to read it, but it is something to, you know, you're bored you know you can totally pick it up right i think you should but um i i was like oh well i mean i know the gist of what you want <laughs> right and so we would talk about it a little bit um and i just thought it was like a really interesting spin i'm gonna pepper in a twitter question here uh from our <laughs> grand twitter inquisitor asimov fangirl who asked why do you think carmilla got outshone by dracula over the decades you know that's a really good question it could be like unfortunately buried by obscurity probably a little bit of that right and then also like probably a little bit of like the same-sex relationships right that also could be a factor probably was not that popular you know um and also like what's dracula like the lore of the lore of dracula is like this um male vampire who like feasts on like attractive young virgins kind of thing and so it's like right so it, there's like um a sexiness to like the scary thing um and that's more like that was like considered more sexy back then right mm -hmm. um or like as in or at least normalized back then um so maybe a little bit of that right i i actually don't know but Probably obscurity and like a sum of like all that. I think the stage had a lot to do with it. That the stage adaptation, oh yeah, with Bella Lugosi, right. gave it a, a life outside of traditional print. Right, because Lugosi right. played that role on stage on the East End and touring Europe and the States for years, even before the film. And Dracula had a stage adaptation that was popular. I'm not, I wouldn't speak to whether or not there was at some point a stage adaptation of Carmilla that did not yeah. reach that zenith. But there's something about Lugosi's performance and charisma that pushed Dracula forward in a way that if the only adaptation of Dracula had been Nosferatu, which is a fairly loose adaptation because of rights where it was a, a knockoff Dracula. I don't know if we if Dracula would have had that shelf life. Also, I mean, that's true. I totally forgot about 
Bella Lugosi. But like, I wonder, as you were saying that, I'm like, I don't know, was like, was there a space for like a charismatic like woman lead back then? Right. Mm. Like, I don't think there was space for that. Right. So they wouldn't even like conceive the idea like, you know what I mean? Like the lead, not like the like the poor women leads but like i mean i mean like the actual you know like star of the the screen like i don't know mm-hmm. if there was any space for that to even be considered especially for that timeline i mean you know yeah. mm-hmm. i don't remember exactly when the, when the play or the movies were but <laughs> yeah I, i'm trying to do the math myself and it's yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. It, films of the time, you know, your your female leads were ingenues, or it was, you know, comedy. There wasn't dramatic female leads, which is something that Carmilla would have had to be. Right. Yes. So that could be the case. <laughs> Uh, at, at the same time, you're also dealing in, you know, a bit of, of Asian vampire mythology. Uh, you know, was that something that you spent some time researching before drawing or anything like that? I was familiar with like Asian vampires. Um, it's something Amy and I actually like giggled about before because of like how funny they are actually. And I grew up watching like um, Asian horror movies and it has like all the Asian like mythological horror creatures. Mostly they're um, comedies. Like so, like the most notable like re- ones that I remember are like comedies. And so um I like we were already like familiar with it so we were like oh yeah totally like I knew we knew exactly what we wanted to do and like how it was gonna be so it was like a common ground that um I think we like just immediately um connected with that that's interesting because I was doing some some reading up on on Asian vampires uh and you know where you know we 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 already talked about european vampires and and how how sexy they are and how how they're very much this allegory for sex and this and i'm going off you know just one day's worth of internet reading here so but like oh these vampires don't fuck around like i i like half the ones i was reading about from all these different countries you know it's like oh it, it's a floating head with its entrails hanging out or a floating torso with its it, its entrails hanging out and they feast on baby blood or they attack pregnant women it's like uh matt, matt i remember you know if you remember when we had uh porn sock shade showed on and we were talking about the crossway there's there's crossway in a few different countries they have different names but yes <laughs> like that shit don't fuck around <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. Our 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 demons and monsters are very scary. <laughs> I would say they're as freaky as like the Germanic um like monsters or like um demons, I think. Cuz they're like scary. Right? They they're like they're definitely like you better be good or or else mm-hmm. kind of thing. <laughs> like the Krampus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or even like your Nosferatu vampire. You know, the one that looks right. like a, you know, like just like a, a demon or like yeah. something not human for sure. I mean, I think my first exposure to the the floating Asian head vampires was a great Hellboy short with mm. Hellboy oh. having to get rid of a bunch of the get rid of a bunch of them, and he winds up like hiding their bodies so the heads have nothing to go home to, and it's yeah delightful. I, I yeah I I think Asian horror mythology is like some of the most interesting ones. I mean I'm biased right, but <laughs> I I think it's there's so many of them, and it's like if you just like just like Korean uh, mythologies like alone is crazy, and then you have Chinese mythologies which gets crazier. Then you have Japanese mythologies which is like insane, right? So it's like there's so much um, to like just play with if you wanted to you know um and so it's like i i always imagined like oh you know when i'm like i'm a big fan of hellboy and bprd and stuff so i was like oh de- you know i've never heard of these like <laughs> demons or entities i mean like some right like um 
Baba Yaga and whatever. Right. But mm. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like those I understand, but I'm like, but how come they never added, you know? And then I would think about like the, the Asian like monsters or demons, because I think there's just like, it's just completely bizarre. You know, I, I don't even know where half of these like originate from. So what made, uh, 1996 the the right period for you for you to want to you know for this story well um we talked about a lot of this and one sim very simple explanation is it's just like a really good um time period for certain things to happen and not happen it's as simple as like technology wasn't all there yet mm. so it's like a very interesting vehicle, depending on what timeline, right? Like movies too, right? Like if you do something contemporary, you have to add like iPads and computers and all this stuff, right? So it's like, it becomes like a different, like it becomes a different vehicle, right? Problems have to be solved differently. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's very interesting what timeline you want to create a story in. And so we like, Amy had a vision of like how it wanted to go and like, you know, and she wanted to touch upon like a time period that wasn't too kind to marginalized people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and that was like one of the biggest points of the book. Um, and so like, it just worked out to a, a lot of favors um, of the story, but also it just, you know, it's a really cool looking time period in New York. Like I'm a New Yorker for life. You know, I was like practically born here. I wasn't, but I was like, you know, I've been here all my life and I remember the nineties in New York, you know, and it's very like, it's very different <laughs> than it is now. And it's a, it's a very specific vibe. If you know, you know. And mm -hmm. so like, I wanted to make sure the art reflected um, how New York was back then. And it was like definitely grittier and uh, not as gritty as the eighties, but like, for sure, it was like totally different. It it wasn't the same as the eighties, but that, but that is the key thing, right? So like 96, you're like a year, maybe two into Giuliani's New York, where he is, act, right. you know, and the whole broken windows approach where yep. he getting rid of, of sort of targeting those nuisance crimes. And of course, you know, you're unhoused in your marginalized groups in the process. Yeah. And it was like, you know, also goth in New York was very much like a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, so it's just, it was just was the perfect vibe. I think it was, it was a great time period. I, I like the idea there there's an extrapolation of this where Giuliani ruined New York for vampires uh, as well <laughs> as everyone else. And that's how Nandor, Nadja and Laszlo ended up on Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Push to the outer boroughs. Yeah. <laughs> And, did this Staten did, Island is like the untouchable so yeah <laughs> it's just those three vampires and Pete Davidson um, you know and that ferry that he bought that's right did he buy that yeah interesting <laughs> did this uh sort of drag up any any like sense memories or or, or uh, fond or less so memories of of that time uh in your life for you yeah, I mean, like, again, I grew up in New York. I lived here all my life. Um, I remember taking the trains, the subways with my mom. Um, back in my day, <laughs> we had tokens, right? So it's like, I remember the tokens. And it's like, wow, like, I, it, it's just like, well, time really has changed, right? Like, it's crazy. And it, it doesn't feel like a long time, but it's just like warp speed. But mm -hmm. for sure, like, I remember... Um, a lot of buildings don't look the way it used to anymore. Like some of that charm has disappeared because they're old buildings. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the a lot of my favorite places has to close down. Uh, I was very heavy into like the goth scene in New York. Um, so, yeah, it was like very nostalgic. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of it I had to like look up uh like vintage imagery because like i drew this during the quarantine so like it's mm -hmm. not like i could physically go outside um but like looking through it i was like oh yeah i remember that or like i remember when it used to look like that and it, it's weird because like your memory does a weird thing where it becomes like um you know in a movie where you're going back in time there's like a filter 
right? Mm -hmm. It's always like mm -hmm. this weird yellow or sapia or whatever. It kind of does that, right? In not so many ways, but like I, re I realized like that's kind of how I wanted the book to look. Like I wanted everything to have like a certain glaze to it, right? So like you get a vintage, um, uh, not a movie, but like everything has like kind of like a haze, you know? So like the colors are very muted and like they're bright, but I didn't want them to be too saturated because like that's how I remember New York. A little dark, <laughs> you know, a little like muted colors, color wise. Um so yeah, I just thought that would, you know, it, it just like triggered a lot of memories and I wanted to translate that into the pages. What, uh, what would be on a mixtape that Athena would make for Violet in oh, 1996? <laughs> I don't know what Athena would do. I know what I would do. No. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Well, let's go with that. Let's go oh, with that. No, I have to, <laughs> no, I have to like open up Spotify and go through <laughs> all of like my my <laughs> guilty pleasures um <laughs> of the 90 oh gosh that's really hard to say um i was a big rock fan mm -hmm. big metal fan so definitely like a lot of iron maidens um oh, okay i mean it has to right uh I, i'm I, like you're, you're asking me on the spot <laughs> what <laughs> I have to go through an entire file cabinet in my brain of musicians. Um, I'll get back to you on that. Okay, that's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move big on. Big rock and metal fan. I definitely was. I was like a big metal head. I still am, <laughs> but I look normal now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, generally, just on the whole, you know, you're, you're taking this 19th century European vampire story. You're adding you know, bits of, of Chinese mythology and also, you know, queer club culture of the time. And, you know, there's, there's that undercurrent of, of Giuliani's New York that we already talked about, you know, that that's a lot of layers at play. How much of a, a challenge was sort of juggling all that because, because it is quite a stew. Yeah. I mean, Amy set the scene, right. With the mm -hmm. words, so it was like, okay, all I needed to was just like envision it, I guess. That's all, you know? <laughs> I just had to like think it think of uh think it up. But I mean, I guess it's like because I'm so familiar with New York, it's easier that way. Mm -hmm. Um it is harder to like because like you only like remember certain scenes of a memory, right? So it's like, okay, now I have to actually grab pictures and like try to figure out what something's going to look like but I don't think it was too difficult because there were like there's a lot of things that I did remember like um oh I forgot what those Sam blanking but you know um before we had computers we had like those little projectors in the library where you looked up um you know, newspaper oh microfiche uh, microfiche that I distinctly remember using one before computers became a really big hit in the public library so it's like things mm. like that i'm like oh yeah i already know this you know <laughs> so it wasn't like too difficult because like i lived some of this like life right um so yeah no i think it was um easier than i expected uh, one thing i appreciate in the book is that when athena starts reading the original carmilla story the the text the narration boxes are presented you know they're these red boxes mm -hmm. with this gold font and at the end, when Carmilla is revealed, I'll, I'll phrase it that way, uh, her word balloons are in those in that same color scheme. You know, um, was that all uh, Sal Cipriano was the letter on the book, but, uh, you know, or, or given that, you know, you, you were coloring the book generally, you kind of had a say in in that part of the presentation. No, I'm very ignorant when it comes to letters like that. I will admit that like there's a limit to my skill set and like letters. I'm like, I just know what looks good. And, you know, uh, they're the professionals of the job. So, you know, whatever Sal did, Sal's like amazing anyways. Like I, I'm a big fan of Sal and he does really great work. Um, but like, you know, of course, like Karen had some direction. She wanted to go with it. And like he was he knew exactly how to execute it. So it was like totally like um, an, an easy um, partnership. Karen being a, a legendary editor, as as we've established, you know, what was a was there a memorable note that she gave you uh, in the process of of making this book? 
Um, she is the most hands-on editor I've ever had, but she is a legend, right? So she knows exactly what she's doing. Mm-hmm, um, and I was like, oh, oh, she really cares about what this looks like. And so I was very like surprised. Um, and I was like, okay. And, it, and, you know, at first it's like, oh, did I do something wrong? Like, am I, you know, oh gosh, I, I hope I didn't like, you know, make it seem like I don't know how to draw. <laughs> right. But <laughs> she just really cares about all the books that she comes out with. So I, she's very like hands-on and she like, um, she's like, very sweet as well so it was like easy to like take notes and directions and stuff and she trusted a lot of it right she was just like oh i'll just call you out on a little bit of the bullshit that you put on the page can you fix it and i'm like yes of course (laughs) (laughs) you found it (laughs) but um yeah it was like it was like very um it's a really cool learning experience for sure this book was pitched pre-pandemic, but was made during the height of it. How did that affect the process, uh, if at all? I, again, like, I think mostly, um, I mean, as artists, you're working in your cave all day anyways. It's not like you go outside. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was especially difficult because, like, I wanted to go to the library and see if I could find images. But it was, like, literally in the middle of, like, the pandemic, and I just was like I'm not going outside so it was like actually a little harder looking up at very specific 1996 is like too specific for Google and so they're like okay well how about the 70s I'm like no but I can work with it I guess you know so it's like I had to like like hodgepodge in my mind like different eras of New York subways to the one that I remembered you know Mm -hmm. So it was like, that's the hardest part if you can't get specific things. And then I just, you know, artistically <laughs> took my own interpretation and, you know, made it work and added some pretty color so you'd get distracted. <laughs> in in learning about uh, Carmilla, the, the novel and, and sort of how she's been presented in media, one thing that I found is that, and this goes for Dracula too, Apparently, vampires love to think they can put one over on us foolish mortals by using anagrams of their names. So, like, there's that whole bit in in, in the graphic novel where it talks about, like, Malarca Holdings. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, we know what that is. And, and you know, Dracula's gone by Alucard from time to time. Uh, you know, I just – I love the idea that 19th century writers think that I can fool people by rearranging the letters of my name and and adopting the guise of Ned T. Agro. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't – I'm not a part of the 19th century, I guess, but, like, I could see how it would fool people, right? Like, <laughs> it would have fooled me, right? I would have been like, oh, no way. <laughs> it's like the original, like, gotcha, right? <laughs> Plot twist. I mean, it worked. Everyone did it. The end supposes that it's it's not the end. How likely is a sequel on a scale from done deal to we're manifesting hard? Hmm. I wonder. Mm. I wonder. Mm. I can't say. Gotcha. <laughs> I can't say. But, you know, there's a. We'll see. <laughs> We'll have to see. Fair. <laughs> I know. I just, like, there's, that's the hard part of like uh, being oh. a comic artist is that there's like projects you're working on way in advance and you can't say it doesn't even mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't even mean Carmel. I just mean like anything in general. So it is like very hush hush. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not the only thing, not the only things that you have going on. Uh, there's also a new volume of uh, your Fantoma series with Ray Fox uh, coming out through Chapter House at the end of this month. Uh, what do you like about reimagining a a lesser known Golden Age character for a modern audience? Um, I haven't worked on Fantoma in an extremely long time. Like that mm-hmm. was a whole lifetime ago, so it's hard for me to really remember um the process of it but um 
it's definitely like interesting right because like i have no idea what this character is and they're you know giving me direction and i can only go by it but i i really leaned on the writer for this ray fox um mm -hmm. and so it was like well whatever he goes with i will you know trust and put on paper it, it is hard when it's like a character i've never um worked with before mm -hmm. did you feel like because I mean, the source material is Fletcher Hanks, which is about as, pardon my French, but about as batshit as you can possibly get. <laughs> uh, were did you feel like you could maybe stretch some artistic muscles or play a little more fast and loose? Because the the source is so utterly bizarre, and like on model was not a thing that Fletcher Hanks believed in. So I'm not, I I still am not, but like I was not familiar with Fletcher Hanks stuff. It was like literally the first time I've seen anything of this character. And I was like, oh, well, they had a vision for re like imagining. And I was like, okay, this is completely different from like the original. Um, so I guess in that sense, yes, but only because like, you know, they made it so right. Um <laughs> And it was like supposed to be contemporary, but um, yeah, I, I unfortunately am not very familiar with his work or most of his property. I mean, the great thing about that, though, is I think Fletcher Hanks changed what Fantoma was at least three times over, you know, oh, maybe the less than two years that that character was in publication in the early 1940s. So, oh, wow. You know, See, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's about as close as Tabula Rasa as you can get. You know. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's as you mentioned, it's been a few years since you know the the original story that you had worked on. What uh, kind of made this uh, time to revive that? I I had nothing to do with the the revival. I mm -hmm. I don't really know much about anything other than the stuff that I worked on previously so okay. yeah I'm actually um I have no comment because I have no idea gotcha. <laughs> sorry understood and one other recently announced project and again this might fall under a similar thing that we spoke of a moment ago uh because you know again a few months off and Lucas Star Wars is notoriously tight-lipped about everything yes. Yes. uh but you will be drawing uh one of the stories in the upcoming tales from the death star annual halloween anthology um you having fun playing in a galaxy far far away yeah i mean i can't spoil anything i can't even say what it is right but um it's definitely a wonderful experience because you know it's star wars but um I'm glad I drew what I did or like this. I'm glad the story that I worked on is the story that I worked on because like, I definitely think it's my vibe and it's my pacing and also um, not a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is very vague, but when you see, you'll see. And then you can, you know, I'll, I'll explain it on the podcast what I meant. If you mm -hmm. would like to have me back on for that, for that story. <laughs> Uh, well let's let's talk about something that you can talk about uh okay <laughs> you have your own podcast so yes. uh, tell us a little bit about that Sweeney boo and i have a podcast called spill your guts um and i only have one podcast so i don't have to juggle much <laughs> like you matt <laughs> i mean you know we're, with comic work and podcasts it's a lot of you know plus mm. your personal life right but um it's something that like we like we love podcasts we talk about our feelings a lot like she and I hit it off and we had like a really like good connection and I think that's hard to find in this industry right um I mean I, I love my friends I have like very good friends like a core group of friends but it's like different people you get different like you know there are different things you get out of certain people right mm -hmm. if that makes sense just and so I was like you know, I get to talk about my feelings and she gets to talk about her feelings. I'm we're very and I'm very and I'm a very open person, you know. I go to therapy and all that jazz, right? And so um we decided like, you know, what a lot of comic artists don't do or creators or fans, 
um, is talk about their feelings, right? I mean, we complain a lot, but that's not the same thing of being <laughs> like, oh, I'm depressed today, you know, or like today I was an off day and it was really hard to work and or something that that's just like a very like small example. But I figured like if we're open about talking about how we really feel while working, um, because every like topic we talk about revolves in some way about mental health. Um, and so I was like, if we're if we're open, I we hope that other people can be open as well. Right. And also this was like during the pandemic. So it's like it's harder. You can't go out. You can't see people. Um, and so it's like, you know, I don't want to force therapy on people. But like if you can do it, I think it's something to consider. Right. Um, but it's also cathartic, hopefully, if you listen to us complain about stuff in our life and you're like, oh, yeah, I did feel about that, but I didn't have anyone to say it to or I don't know how to say it out loud. You know, so like sometimes just listening to it is like um, helpful, maybe. Um, and of course, we're not professionals, but these are just like our view on certain things. Um, and so like we wanted it to be interesting but also very like um, maybe informative and we want it to be transparent, you know, as like freelancers. And I think also one of the biggest thing is, are, is that fans only see creators as like, you know, like do the thing, you know, we're like performers. <laughs> we, we do the thing, you see it on a paper and then like they get very vicious online because they think we don't feel right. So it's like, okay, well let, let's time out. Like, let us show you what we like, to, at least two of us women like feel like in the industry and so hopefully it opens up like oh right they're humans <laughs> you know maybe they'll like reconsider a few things <laughs> so you know i it was it's fun mostly but i figure like it could be fun for other people too that's great that's great um do you have any conventions or signings coming up um there is a signing, but not public. It's a very exciting one, actually. Um, mm. Hopefully, there'll be more information on that soon. Uh, but unfortunately, because of work, I mean, knock on wood, I'm very glad because of work, I cannot. <laughs> because I can't travel for work, um, I will not be. Hopefully, I'll be going to New York Comic Con instead. Mm -hmm. um, I traveled last all of last year so i'm like okay i like being home and working um so maybe new york comic-con but i think that's it for the year yeah, that's a that's a big one so <laughs> it is it is the most hectic show of the year mm. uh penultimate question what are you reading right now oh boy um honestly nothing right now <laughs> it's kind of like you go to work the last thing you want to do is like look at other work right mm. although i i do like um miss reading books or comics i just haven't had time to sit down um i think mostly like i unwind by like watching a show or a movie but i do that while working anyways mm -hmm. um but like you have to sit there you have to stop doing what you're doing to pay attention right and um, unfortunately, right now, I don't have the time for to, you know, stop uh, moving. All right. I did say that was the penultimate question, but I am going to Columbia you and say one more thing. <laughs> sure. The Batman sketch behind that's been behind you staring at me the entire time. Ah, uh, yes. Is that yours or someone else's? It is mine because I paid for it, but <laughs> it is done by my friend Adam Gorham. Oh, oh that's great. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, so this has been a fantastic hour. Final question as we release you back into the world. How can people follow you online and keep up with Maleficent and everything else that you're working on? Um, you can follow me on social media. I am Sue D. Lee on Twitter and Sue Lee Draws on Instagram and uh, Twitch as well. Although I have not been on Twitch for a long time. Uh, sometimes we have like a drink and draw that is fun, I think. <laughs> Um, and most of the time I use social media to share news. So if you need or want to keep tabs on like, you know, any of the projects, that would be the best way. All right. Well, Sue, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Um, and I'm very grateful to be on. 
that's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azabah Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.